Hey guys, and welcome to Between the Pints, your source for the business side of craft beer. I'm your host, Aaron Gore, a.k.a. the human equivalent of malt liquor, and I'm here with my co-host... Ryan Moses, the beer counselor slash owner of Craft Beer Consulting, LLC. Hey, how are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing pretty well today. Not a bad day today. It's no, there's no emergencies for me to have to drive insane on 277 to get here today so <laughs> i'll tell you a definite improvement over the last show yeah. i feel like the last two shows prior to that it would like first one i screwed up the second one everything <laughs> screwed up and yeah, yeah we're really on fire here between the pines uh as we say time and time again i promise guys we're, we're professionals and i will say the the podcast has been coming out a little bit later than normal, but that's I've figured out my schedule, and I'll be able to get the edit done. Hopefully, from now on, the show will be coming out on Thursdays is my plan. Just in time for you to download it and use it while you're driving to your grandmother's house or wherever you're going on your week. You have involved. such a family-oriented perspective of what our listeners are doing. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, as you're I mean, driving to your grandmother's house because oh, you don't visit her enough. Or as you're driving to, like, Charleston to go to Charlestown Fermentory and other places like now that. Now that sounds <laughs> more likely. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, it definitely sounds like the more likely option. Uh, well, I guess let's get started uh, today. Uh, no interviews today. Just um, we got a nice topic to go ahead and cover as we get a little further into the show. But I think we're going to go ahead and start with some brew news. What do you got for me today, Ryan? Let me pull it up right here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm so glad that we're prepared today. Ah, they, the hits keep coming. All you have right. an entire laptop in front of you, and you're pulling this up on your phone. You guys can't see this at home, but he should be <laughs> embarrassed, and I hope you all recognize that. Uh, my, actually, uh, my first two articles will be coming out of Colorado. But I've the, heard about that state. Yeah, The first one is we're going to revisit the Colorado beer sales regulation law. Okay. What is that, Ryan? Well, this has been like the weirdest, longest strangest trip for them just to be able to sell full-strength beer in grocery stores and Walmart, basically. Um, but basically what's happened is the next version, well, the original version of the bill that passed has passed, and there is there the law will go into effect. However, they've been also having to go back and create because of the lobbies from both the liquor stores and the grocery stores, they've had to like renegotiate the edges of the law so that it can so that it can actually be enforced and go into effect and be effective for everyone. And I've read the article a couple of times, and I can't quite figure out exactly what exactly happened. But the last bill that went before the Colorado House has somehow got gutted so that the people who presented the bill now hate the bill, and the people who hated the bill at first now like the bill. And it's just... American politics, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. You heard it right here first. And it's like the committees that the bill's gone in front of have nothing to do with like alcohol or Why beer. is this going to the House <laughs> Intelligence Committee? It's pretty much kind of like that. <laughs> That's literally what like someone on the committee asked. And they put this in front of the last committee, and then the... Republicans in the House switched committee members to people who didn't like the bill, and the Democrats switched committee members to people who liked the bill. It's just a cluster. It's a complete cluster. I've, it's it, just. To who would have ever <laughs> thought that changing blue laws in in 
U.S. states would be so difficult except for all of history. And this one is like even more strange than most. Usually it's just like an argument and a fight. You yeah, know, usually it's like the a, wholesalers pumping yeah. a bunch of money and then it's, uh, you know, the breweries punching like doing what they can the other direction yeah. this one this is more like, sounds confusing yeah, than like, anything I, I can't quite figure out who's on whose side if the wholesalers are on the craft <laughs> it's yeah especially you have the craft beer people they're gonna wind up with a law that allows selling malt liquor in preschools before you know <laughs> it I, <laughs> and like i was just reading in the article they talk about one committee meeting where the chair was she was like she was angry and saying that this law will destroy all craft beer in Colorado going forward if it's passed as it is and it's just like I Jesus, y'all are wide open. Right and all this Go just on. to get full strength beer in Walmart because sometimes <laughs> sometimes I just need to get drunk when I'm buying edited and censored CDs for my Walkman. Yeah, that's that's great. Way to go, Colorado. Uh way to be <laughs> Oddly behind the times for one of the capitals of craft beer and marijuana. <laughs> Boy, who would have thought that would have yeah. been so hard? That's yeah. the other thing. You have legal marijuana, and you can't figure out how to sell like a 5% <laughs> beer in a grocery store. I can't grab an IPA <laughs> at Kroger, but I can go down to the street corner, and I, I can pack a blunt. I get you, listen, I'm, I'm comfortable with this. They clearly have their priorities sorted. I mean, this is the same state that doesn't have growler sales in spite of having the headquarters for a company called Growler USA. Yeah. I mean, if that's not ironic, I, I don't know what is. All right, what else is coming out of the great state of uh, Beer, Florida, a.k.a. Colorado? Pete Coors is pissed off at the Brewers Association. <laughs> That's pretty much the best way to sum this up. All right. So what? So Pete Coors, owner of, well, uh, chairman yeah, of, yeah, chairman of uh, Molson Coors, uh, whose American subsidiary is Miller Coors. Y'all are yeah. familiar with them from the Miller's and Coors product. They weren't really creative with the uh, the company name. Uh, why is he mad at the BA? Well, basically last week at the Craft Brewers Conference, it, a lot of craft beer people, talk shit about big beer that's pretty much what we've <laughs> never done that <laughs> exactly. on this show and so he like wrote an open letter complaining about how this is hurting all of beer in the united states and how this, there should be you know we're all brewers and we should all be pulling together and yes it's competition it's the competition but we should be friendly competition it's like this is the craft brewers conference every it's for craft brewers <laughs> every brewery here was created in opposition to you, quite honestly, <laughs> what did this is a cheerleading? This is like the this is one of the two big cheerleading things for the Brewers Association every year. This and the GABF, and the only reason you like the GABF is because you get to go there and win awards because they do have an American Light Lager category. Yeah. And so his uh, and. From one standpoint, <laughs> I get where he's coming from. I yeah. mean, we got to keep in mind yeah. this is not ABI. This is not Anheuser Busch Inbev. Yeah. Uh, for their part, Molson Coors has been pretty okay with the craft beer industry. Yeah. Their beer, by and large, still sucks ass. But, you know, that that's that's not their fault. They were born that way. Uh, so it's one of those things I get where he's coming from, that, you know, they, they're not firing shots in this war, and they feel like shots were taken at them. Yeah. But by the same token, they did sell off Sab Miller to ABI just recently. And for the they rest are, of the world, yes. Yeah, and they are still uh, gobbling up an enormous amount of market share. Their beer, like you said, is, is essentially the symbol for what almost every single craft brewery was founded in opposition of. Uh, can you can you really be that mad as you're sitting on top of like a 20% market share in the U.S. Uh, beer market? It's 
your market share in the U.S. beer market basically equals all of craft beers, yes. so I'm not entirely sure you can be that irritated. And, um, he also went ahead and posted it on a beer finance website. Rather than even, he didn't even send a copy to the BA. By the way, he made yeah. no effort to reach out to him. It was yeah. like he just he really wanted to do this. He did it, and then like his lawyers and uh, you know all the people <laughs> who normally talk him out of this sort of thing uh, got to him the next day, and they're like, "Okay, you're not posting that anywhere else. Hopefully, <laughs> nobody will notice." They yeah. noticed. And I'm reading this in the last um, paragraph in the Denver Post article I'm reading from. is that In a post-accompanying Coors letter, the Beer Business Daily Report claimed that several of the distributors for the large brewers took umbrage with the tone of the general session as it is those brands which keep the craft brewers' doors open. Wait, are, are they trying to take credit for craft beer? <laughs> yeah, basically the distributors are going, because we sell all this Miller Coors stuff, we can... It allows us to like distribute your piddly little beer to the okay. The not only is that pa- not only is that patronizing as hell, but <laughs> these are the same wholesalers who are arguing that if they weren't allowed to basically rope these crap breweries in to things that are harder <laughs> than a divorce to get out of, then their entire business would obviously fall apart. Yes. So, yeah, and they're not even wrong. Their doors are essentially kept open by Bud Miller Coors. Yeah. The problem is, if we allowed more states to do self-distribution, then none of this would be, you know. Yeah. yeah the, the only people this is helping is that middle tier, who you know, there's a pretty strong case to be made, don't have a a a right to exist. They have the privilege to exist. Yeah, they yeah. do a lot of good things, but you know, there's plenty of breweries who would be just fine distributing their own backyard without, I don't know, having to buy back their beer from wholesalers like yeah. they have to do in plenty of states, for example. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, again, that's yeah, fun stuff coming out of Colorado. In my last article, uh, Belgian monks search for lost beer recipe holds <laughs> up brewery plan. Now, the Belgian monks at Grimbergen, which has their beer currently brewed by Carlsberg, they want to start brewing their beer again at their abbey. Small problem. They cannot find the original recipe. Oh, that's that would definitely be a complicating factor in trying to brew a beer. So they've had four volunteer researchers for the last year going through 35,000 books and files. Holy hell. In their library and archives to find the original recipe, and they cannot find it. <laughs> yeah, I'd really, really <laughs> like to be able to make uh, my grandmother's trademark pineapple upside down cake, but she took that recipe to her grave. I mean, it is, this is kind of one of the things I, I don't know if we talked about it on, I think we did talk about it on air last week, where the, was it the Schlitz, the grand, the great-grandson of the guy who founded Schlitz has bought back Schlitz from Pabst, and he's wanting to use the original recipe the original recipe, industrialized yeah. recipe. Yeah, so it's again, that's, it's going back to that, and I think that's what the monks want to do is the same kind of thing, is that they want to first get their recipe back, and start selling their beer themselves and take all the profits from it. <laughs> but I think the most important part of this is, but they also do want to go back to the original recipe. Yeah, make yeah. higher quality beer. And I don't know if you've had Carlsberg recently, but it's terrible. So yeah. not exactly the people I would want to trust with the, the beer equivalent <laughs> of Grandma's Pineapple Turnover Recipe. Yeah. So it's, Upside yeah. down. Yeah, that's what I said earlier. I can't remember my own <laughs> damn analogy. All right, I'm on fire today. But yeah, it's just, just interesting just to read. And it's kind of one of those things where it's fun because you're like, oh, yeah, this Abbey has existed since 1100. <laughs> they have a lot of, like, old, moldy paper 
that they have to go through to find this, <laughs> to find this recipe. You make this whole uh, process sound so appealing. That, that, that's what I want to think about when I'm drinking my beers, old moldy paper. Well, if, well, honestly, if you like Raiders of the Lost Ark is like confused people as to what archaeology actually is. <laughs> you mean they're not all Indiana Jones and not all paleontologists are like in Jurassic Park? Yeah, and not everybody's like uh, the what is it the that Dan Brown, that crappy book that became oh, the Tom Hanks movie. Oh, yeah, uh, The Da Vinci Code. The Don't da Vinci get me Code. started on Dan Brown. We could do an entire... If we really want to get off on a tangent, <laughs> let's do an entire episode on how much I hate that man. Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> I, I'm going to just say this. I actually tried to read one of his non-Da Vinci Code series books one day in a library, and I like got through the first page and went, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, no. Or, it, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's just bad writing. He he is a, a oh man. All right, all right, quick tangent. He is a schlock writer, and if you guys take any of the things he's writing seriously as actual theological theory, because he portrays it as that, and even in interviews yeah. he says it's based on real stuff. No, no, li- there have been entire theses written on how inaccurate literally everything he writes is. So well, a lot of comic books are based on real physics until like. You read it and you go, really? Don't 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 ruin <laughs> comics for me, Ryan. Don't don't do that. We were hating on Dan Brown. Don't 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 ruin the rest of it for me. <laughs> Batman could happen. Damn it. Uh, anything else? No, I think that's it for this week. Yeah, that's it for this week. It for you, maybe. Yeah. All right. So got? other. Uh, <laughs> oh. uh, other news going on in the world today, uh, U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration, they had put out a uh, basically a new requirement for any bar or restaurant with more than 20 locations to go ahead and put nutrition facts for their products on their menus. Uh, this includes beer, this includes soda, this includes food, uh, anything that's considered a regular menu yeah. item. Uh, and as as a whole, I'm I'm pretty all right with this idea. I mean, uh, any the key component to any good working democracy and capitalism, when you really really break it down, is essentially democracy by dollars. Is a well informed and well educated uh, populace. So I'm okay with with this being kind of out there without dig- digging too deep into the politics of it. But that uh, had been postponed and postponed and postponed. Yeah. Finally, going into effect now. So you'll start seeing that pop up at pretty much all of your local chain restaurants. Uh, so, yeah, a- Applebee's is going to have to tell you just how <laughs> terrible their three-cheese chicken penne is for you. Yeah, all the sodium. Well, the one thing for brewers that will be interesting is... I think, Finding that stuff out? <laughs> yeah, first, yeah, first figuring out what this pastry beer that we created, how much sugar is actually in it. Well, the uh, I will say the Department of Labor has done a great job. They actually created a like a rough quick calculator yeah. based on the ingredients yeah. going in that'll make it a lot simpler to kind of give a ballpark estimate and that's all they're requiring of breweries because otherwise you have to take it to a lab you have to do a whole lot of basically distillation down to component parts and start yeah. figuring out the, the you know the specific calorie kilocalorie counts and everything that that's a huge headache we started looking yeah. into this at the last brewery that i helped run uh, for exactly that reason uh, we were kind of anticipating this going yeah. through, and it, yeah, it's much much easier just to use that damn calculator. Yeah, but in, in yeah, which is good, and but even with that, you're gonna get these nutrition facts on your, say, a southern tier creme brulee, and that's that's just that is gonna be a little <laughs> on the startling side. It has 1,200 calories. All of it sugar. 
will rot your teeth out the moment you lick the bottle. All right. Yeah, that's what people do. They yeah. lick bottles. Uh, <laughs> uh, so next story up, uh, Boulevard Brewing out of Kansas City, uh, owned by uh, owned by Devel, Morkut, uh, same company owns Omegong. They own Firestone Walker. I basically just make fantastic beer from top to bottom. They're actually doing a collaboration beer with uh, independent rap artist Tech Nine. Yep. Uh, nothing really else to the story. I just really like Tech Nine. I really like Boulevard, <laughs> so I'm excited for this. And it is fun to see that the hip hop community is actually starting to get invested in the craft beer community. We've seen Run the Jewels has been doing for a little while now uh, collaboration beers, and seeing Tech Nine, who's a Kansas City staple, kind of going in on the same thing is 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 kind of fun. I, yeah. I, I hope these kind of things keep going. Yeah, I do too. Hold on, if I can find this story and it relates to it. Hold on, everybody. We're just going to go ahead and get real quiet on the microphones for a little Uh, bit while we look stuff up on the fly. P.D. Pablo and Noose River collaborate on a beer. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Noose River. We got to talk. P.D. Pablo, in spite of that one song that everybody knows from him in the state of North Carolina, was actually a pretty talented artist, but... Guy ain't been relevant in like 15 years. I know he's a North Carolina native, but News River, we got to talk, y'all. Like, nobody else was available. Like, ASAP Rocky wasn't slumming it because y'all basically dug deep into the archives. Like, MC <laughs> Hammer wasn't available? At least that man had like two hits. All right. <laughs> oh, I'm just like reading the story. The president of News River, Ryan Kolarov, they were at Pablo's talent showcase last, sometime last year. And What does he- that even mean? I don't know. Petey Pablo's having talent showcase. I want a talent showcase. <laughs> I'd like. I imagine he just literally has like an old hutch he converted. He calls his talent showcase. He's just got EPs of himself like in there, a couple photos of his face. Oh, they were at the, they were at the show, and Petey walked by Kolarov after they'd been drinking for a while, and he said, "This, this is exact <laughs> of course." This exact quote from the news article: After I got another drink in me, and Petey walked by, I stopped and said, "Hey, Petey, let's make a beer together." <laughs> of, course, of course, Pablo said yes. That's literally. Oh my god! Said. Okay, so this is basically like when you and a friend make plans when you're both shit faced, and then the next yes. day, like only one of you wants to like hold to him, and you're like, "Crap, I did agree to that." Uh, well, I guess we are taking that nudist vacation together in the Caribbean. <laughs> Fine. Oh man, that is hilarious. That is the best way that that could have come about. That I could have imagined. I, I, I love every part of that story. Petey's <laughs> pale ale. The guava forward, five point eight. It is. What the hell does this have? I, you know, you know what? Raise up, guys. Raise up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is the, that's the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> we can just quit the show now. I, I, there's no brew news that's going to top that. Uh, oh, all right. So, uh, man, that's hard to pivot from. Uh, so, Anheuser Busch. Uh, uh, recently purchased 800 hydrogen electric powered semi trucks from the Nikola uh, Motor Company. It's a competing company to Tesla. They actually, in a lot of ways, kind of innovate a lot yeah, of technology they just at sued Tesla last week. Yeah, yeah, for uh, basically cribbing off of <laughs> yeah. uh, some of their ideas. Um, so they bought these hydrogen powered trucks. Essentially, these are going to act as the equivalent of taking about 13,000 passenger vehicles off the road, hydrogen powered cars. Uh, right now, the technology is still fairly young, but they're way, way more efficient, produce virtually no emissions. Uh, they're uh, kind of the the wave of the future. And to see Anheuser-Busch, man, I really, I really hate that I'm going to say this. <laughs> to see them doing this is really kind of awesome. Uh, this is 
as important as overland shipping is to the beer industry, but just to American industry in general, uh, anything that we can do to kind of reduce that impact is definitely going to have positive effects. So, yeah, a- ABI, it, it's something about that blind squirrel finding a nut. <laughs> y- y'all, y'all did all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now that we've exited Bizarro World on that, the uh, another little piece of trucking news for ABI, uh, Uber just completed the first commercial delivery using a self-driving uh, semi-truck, and it was packed with Budweiser because... Boy, we want to start this off right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can see if you're on. It's one of those. If you're Uber, you're thinking ahead because even though ABI just bought all these hydrogen powered trucks, boy, like, wouldn't you like that technology getting installed in those 800 hydrogen yeah, powered exactly. trucks? So yeah. And we did just talk about there being about 50,000 truck drivers short in American industry right yeah. now. So this will definitely be kind of the future way of uh, providing for those shipping needs without necessarily having a labor shortage that would also drive up costs in turn so it's kind of exciting to see happen even if boy i wish they had picked i don't know literally any other brewery in the world yeah <laughs> i mean trying to think of your Uber in colorado they did the delivery in colorado they could have picked any one of what a thousand different breweries oh yeah no i hear there's a few in colorado and since they can't ship to grocery stores <laughs> You know, you might as well use that as a uh, useful way of getting it further out. (laughs) Way to go, Colorado. Way to go. Uh, World Beer Cup. Uh, For those of you who aren't, you know, necessarily in the know about the World Beer Cup, it is probably the most prestigious beer competition in the world. It happens every two years at the Craft Brewers Conference. This year it took place in Nashville. It's hosted by the BA. Uh, It's... The basic gist is, whereas Great American Beer Festival is more primarily focused on American craft beer, the World Beer Cup kind of opens up to everybody. And they uh, have a tendency to get a pretty decent turnout from across the world, obviously weighted towards America, both due to sheer number of breweries as well as due to location. But this year they had uh, 8,234 beers entered from 2,515 breweries in 66 countries, which is (laughs) Just absolutely insane. Uh, of the 295 judges, uh, 33 countries are represented among them. So this is a pretty big deal and pretty significant when you're competing against almost literally the entire rest of the world, especially everyone of real import across the rest of the world. It, it's pretty significant if you pick up yeah. a medal there. Yeah, it uh, is. Right here in Charlotte, Legion Brewing wound up picking up a silver medal for Dryer Stout for their Slancha Dryer Stout. It's a very good, as a person who loves Dryer Stouts, that is a great beer. Yeah, his is definitely one of the better ones that they've been putting out lately, and uh, they won that just in time for their head brewer to leave to go to Chattanooga. So, <laughs> so that was a nice little feather in their cap and a good start for uh, Scott, their new brewer. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's able to do at the helm. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, uh, not a ton of huge surprises other than uh, Pint House Pizza in Austin. Several of their locations, they're kind of a brew pub pizza place down in Austin, Texas area, and they, they killed it. They, yeah. they took yeah. home quite a few medals and and did so kind of out of the blue so that was a pretty good sign anytime you got a kind of a chain brew pub picking up medals that's always going to be a good look for them and something to watch i know fatheads that was kind of what put them on the map early on looking oak and dagger one for their raleigh pride esb yeah oak and dagger one uh we we had revelry down in south carolina one as well uh yeah, so it's it's there's been a couple in the Carolinas that pulled it away. Uh, definitely looked like it was a little more centered on the uh, Cali and Colorado scenes, which yeah. is about the least surprising thing ever. Well, even at the GABF, that's what happens. <laughs> and, and Virginia cleaned up at GABF this last year too. Yeah, they and did. 
that is really becoming a, a state to watch. North Carolina was kind of the shining jewel of the southeast when it came to beer for a little while there. But, man, Virginia, it, that they're putting that population to work. Yeah, yeah. They've, that they've gotten a little bit – they've figured out how – like I said, they're stealing stuff from Maryland, basically. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're, they're learning the lessons. They're, they're, yeah. And they're taking, uh, taking away. And, honestly, having some of those East Coast facilities open up in Virginia yeah, has been a, a huge boon for them just because it showed a lot of these crap breweries – what could be done and yeah. gave them kind of uh, focal points. And I actually talked to the, we actually did a tap takeover with the brewers from uh, Parkway out of Roanoke. And they were talking about how, you know, Deschutes actually does, even before they've gotten everything built, they have actually been helping the smaller brewers in that area with just like infrastructure stuff and getting a few more ingredients and stuff like that. So, because yeah. setting up those relationships and, and helping create a destination is good for everybody. Yeah, yeah. If is. you can give people an excuse to visit Roanoke as a a beer destination, yeah, that's good, good for, for Deschutes. Everybody. It's yeah. good for, for all the smaller guys. It's good for Parkway. It's probably the biggest one out of Roanoke right now. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're seeing similar things even right here in Charlotte with uh, Victory Southern Tier. Yeah. I, in my opinion, they've done a really good job of kind of reaching across the aisle and Trying to say, hey, how can we contribute to the community? Yeah. We'll save and table discussion for how the response has been in return. But well, the response has been from some brewers has been, yes, we like having you here. Individual brewers have been pretty good to it. Yes. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> we know too many people to get any, any deeper into that conversation. So yeah. on to the next story. Man, we have a lot of news today. Uh, Dr. J. Nicole uh, Jackson Beckham, the Brewers Association's new diversity ambassador gave her first uh, talk to the effect of what the industry can do to improve the situation of diversity in craft beer at the Craft Brewers Conference in Nashville. And I love the fact that in her speech that you're going to talk about, I will spoil it because she has a line that is something we've actually literally said on this show multiple times. Oh, (laughs) I thought she managed to nail this speech top to bottom. I. Yeah. Could not have asked for a a more nuanced, realistic, but optimistic approach to the issue. She she absolutely slayed it, and and I'll get into a little more detail. Yeah. But yeah, the line is: if you're going to grow, you cannot simply sell beer to just white dudes with beards. And yeah. I say that as a white dude <laughs> with a beard. I, I I'm who she's talking about. Man, we're running out, guys. Uh, and and she yeah. makes some very good points. She makes a point that that for a lot of people of color, a lot of women, they walk into breweries and they do they feel uncomfortable. And it's not because of necessarily anything overt. Yeah. But there's that general feeling of well, this isn't for you. Yeah. And, and I, I get that. No one wants to walk into a place. I know people who you know <laughs> they won't walk into you know a Mexican restaurant where the majority <laughs> of the people sitting at tables aren't white because they're like I don't know I just don't feel like I belong there. Well, imagine but- how that feels for. You know, a, a solid 40% of the population when they walk in anywhere. And by the way, if you go to a Mexican restaurant that doesn't have a lot of, say, Mexican people in it's there. It's probably going to suck. Yes. Yeah. It, <laughs> like, that's how, that's how I tend to pick any restaurant that's not like a burger joint is, all right, uh, how many people in here look like me? Most of them? I'm leaving. <laughs> oh, man. that's <laughs> There's a handful of uh, Indian places right near my house, and, like, one of them tends to be like the white folk Indian place. <laughs> it's by far the worst one, but you know, it's like there are specially chicken tikka masala, the spaghetti and meatballs of India. Oh, it's it's oh, it's terrible, man. <laughs> Go to the places that the people of whatever 
culture, culture ethnicity yeah. background go because you're getting the most authentic thing and you're getting the best thing they're yeah. not they're not catering if you want something that tastes exactly like everything else you're eating why are you at a restaurant that's not just i don't know like you know applebee's yeah we're going right <laughs> yeah. back to applebee's on that <laughs> uh yeah but she had some uh excellent things to say uh and, and she was very uh, fair in the approach she did a good job of kind of calling out the fact that call out modern call out culture can oftentimes make it hard to even want to engage in these attempts yeah. to increase diversity because a lot of people will you know they'll take those first steps and immediately are shouted down as you know it's not enough or it's not quick enough or yeah. you know it's not the right way of doing the right thing and and she makes a point that yeah okay it, no matter what you're doing if you're sticking your neck out there there's going to be somebody waiting to chop it off. Yeah. But you still need to take those approaches and don't let that discourage you because you're always going to have those people who are being loud for the sake of being loud. Yeah. But these yeah. steps are going to have to be taken. The industry can't survive if we don't make these steps. And it shouldn't survive if we're not willing to make these yeah. steps. And and she she lays out some pretty good kind of just uh, steps for inclusion and things that people can do to try and improve that situation. And actually, one of the other lines I really like that she says, let's see, start here. Jackson Beckham also cautioned brewery leaders about perceived barriers which may they may not realize exist. <laughs> and what she says is people may be seeing a barrier you may not see. And just because you don't have the equipment to perceive this barrier, it doesn't mean it isn't real. And, and that, she does lay out some of what they might be, like uh, yeah. just the... Uh, the issue of previous resources people are coming into breweries and they might not necessarily have that base beer geek knowledge and we'll get into this <laughs> that, yeah. uh, this is going to tie in very well <laughs> with what we're talking about today uh they might not have that beer geek knowledge right out of the get-go so it, it can be intimidating uh it, people talk all the time about the barriers to, uh to entry in wine how it can be perceived as yeah. snooty or pretentious because if you don't know every varietal in Napa valley yeah. what are you even doing here <laughs> and beer is starting to head that way and, and that can be intimidating to people and you need to uh, reach out to them, but in a way that doesn't, you know, patronize them and make them feel like yeah. you're talking down to them. Uh, there's also a lot of places, uh, a lot of breweries, for example, who they cater to the areas they know. We talked about that uh, the situation in England, where yeah. you have some of these breweries who sell to the same places that the owners have always been going, and they sell yeah. to the people that the owners always, always known. known. Yeah. And it creates a situation where you have this one circle, and that's the only circle and the only circle of places that you're going to see the beer. And you're going to see the people drinking the beer, and that limits your growth geographically if you're not reaching out to places that might not seem like obvious candidates but yeah. have an enormous amount of potential for growth. Yeah. And, you know, you got cultural issues as well and societal issues. Uh, for one, she makes a good point. If you're not willing to drink a can of, your, of a particular beer in front of your mother, uh, there's probably going to be situations where you just decide not to buy that particular beer i mean yeah. look at the flying dog issues that they were having with uh, the ba last year and you know I, I i for one am of the mind that the ba shouldn't be dictating to its member organizations what they should do but flying dog <laughs> flying dog <laughs> yeah raging bitch i ain't gonna buy that in front of my you know minister father oh. and, and conservative mother there's raging bitch there's pearl, pearl necklace, necklace doggy style <laughs> it's, <laughs> so it's one of those things. I, I I get the argument. You're you're limiting yourself by virtue of making certain people feel uncomfortable. And there are other people who just flat out won't buy it, even yeah. if they're you know just sitting around the house because they don't necessarily agree with the message that's given off. So even if you yeah. think they're being silly, and even if you think there's a good, uh, an argument to be made that you know they're being silly, it doesn't change how they feel. And those are customers you're not going to get back. So yeah. she makes some excellent points about just the limitations on that. I I thought she did a yeah fantastic job right out of the get-go i am i'm having an enormous amount of faith in who they put in this role yeah uh, yeah i'm due to i think the 
I think she is the right person, especially at the for the first person to do this. I think she is prop she is the right person to put out front because she is a a professor of sociology and history, and she is also a home brewer and a craft beer person. So she brings everything you need for this role, especially at the beginning. It's almost like up. she was yeah. created in a lab for this role. Yes. They they really they really <laughs> kind of managed to nail it. So. Yeah. And this is a it's a tough topic to tackle. Yeah. It'd be it'd almost be easier if the, if the issues of diversity in craft beer were due to just outright malice because then you'd have something you could just directly address. But yeah. so much of it is due to a combination of ignorance and tradition that yeah. it, it's a hard thing to to get you know your hands wrapped around. She's she's off to a good start. Yeah. I, I wish her nothing but the best on that. It's important work. A uh, handful of other stories just across the industry, and then we'll uh, move on past that. Uh, Shipyard is going to be scaling back their production. They've been kind of a brand in flux for a while now. Uh, they haven't really been relevant since the 90s. Um, well, it's another one of those legacy craft brewers who's just fallen in that well where you, you, you're you not creative enough or not, I'm not trying to say that in a pejorative sense, but you don't have the creative enough lineup to attract younger you old, bro. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> you, you to attract younger drinkers, but you're not established enough, and you weren't you weren't geograph- geographically established enough that you can just like Sierra Nevada, where you can take some time and like figure out what you're doing, and then essentially they've yeah. become the fanny pack of beer. <laughs> they they're practical. You yeah. remember them? They were never cool to begin with, and they're definitely not cool now. Yeah. And the ironic thing is, they uh, and I haven't really seen any follow-up on it. Have, did you try Finder, the New England-style IPA that they released? Uh, this is about four or five months ago. No. First, like, this is the first real new skew I've seen from them since Pumpkinhead. Uh, the first real uh, like new, innovative, keeping up with the times beer I think I've seen from Shipyard ever. Yeah. I'll be damned. It was fantastic. Fantastic New England-style IPA from a, a company that I would never have suspected from. But I feel like it's just a little bit too late, yeah, and, and they've been kind of uh, in in you know summary collapse for a little while now. So they're uh, they uh, peaked out at I think it was something about a little over 150,000 barrels in 2013, and and now they're down to like 95. So it's been a it's been a pretty stark fall. I mean, when yeah. you lose about half of your total production, more than actually, yeah. that's usually not a great sign. Uh, Vornsteiner, the importers of Vornsteiner in the U.S. Uh, just agreed to a $900,000 compromise offer with the TTP. Uh, the, there were some allegations of unfair business practices, breaking some tied house laws and the like. Uh, they don't really get into a whole lot of detail, but I don't, I don't, man, what do you have to be doing if you're a Vornsteiner importer that, that you got some of these bud importers aren't getting in trouble and you happen to drop nearly a mill? You... You sell Vornsteiner. <laughs> yeah, you're who you're selling to is limited just off the bat. So we might need to do an episode on on the difficulties facing imp, like imported beer yeah. because we we talk all the time about how much of a you know kick in the dick it, the craft beer industry has been for macro macro beers, but holy like holy hell imports have taken it right on the chin. And if you look at the raw numbers, imports are doing actually very good. 
The only issue is that keeps Corona into account. Yeah. Which in Corona and Modelo and Dosekis are all doing fantastic, but the European export scene or import scene rather has just been an absolute freefall statewide stateside. And actually had an interesting conversation yesterday with someone about McKellar. And that we actually brought that up. It was they were a good brewery when they were just shipping straight from Europe here, but you would get hit and miss because it takes so long for the beer to get here. It would be good. It might be bad. You wouldn't know. But once they built the San Diego brewery, you can still say some of their stuff might be good. It might be bad. But that's just mostly because they're just trying so much different stuff all at once. <laughs> you might. The style, oh, yeah. yeah. They're, <laughs> they're very much taking the throw it at a wall and see what sticks yeah. methodology. And I've had some amazing, like, like life-changing beers from McKellar. Yeah. I have had some undrinkable syrupy messes from McKellar, and it's gotten to the point I don't even really take the I don't even really take the risk now, especially since the price point on their beer tends to be fairly high to begin yeah. with. I do the same thing with Evil Twin. I, yeah. I have really kind of stopped taking those chances because I could get something I know will be pretty damn good for half the price, and yeah. it might not be as good as the best of the best from Evil Twin or McKellar. But I'm also not really risking that it's going to be the worst either. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I would. It is interesting. I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, the importers, the European importers, are probably getting hurt more by craft beer in the United States than probably anybody. Yeah, anyone else. Yeah, that used to be the only good beer you could get stateside yeah. was imported European beer, and and these days we have so much good beer being made in america that there's not really a place for much of them i mean you definitely have some of those old mainstays that yeah. you know I, I love to revisit and that that stand up to literally anything you put them across but we do almost every single style here in america almost as good if not as good as the stuff that you're getting uh, you know from europe yeah with the maybe the exception of the flemish ales and yeah i was gonna say that's probably yeah the yeah nothing is standing up to duchess and rotenbach i i t- it's just just flat out fact. But let's just put it this way: one of my recommendations will be Duchess today. So. Oh, I love that beer so much. That that's that that's actually it's pretty damn close to supplanting Innocent Gun Original as my favorite beer of all time. I love Duchess of Borgonia. But for those uh, European brewers like that that created the beachhead for craft beer in the United States by importing all their good beer, they're they're also getting hit. They sales in the United States have fallen off. Now the sales in their home countries is going to start falling off because the craft brewing craft movement beer movements has hit their countries now. That's English craft beer has exploded, yeah. exploded. German craft beer is starting to take off. Italy is actually yeah, of all places yeah. has really started to build up a nice craft beer movement. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, uh, America. <laughs> It sounds like American exceptionalism. I don't mean that in any way. Like we really did kind of spark something in a lot of these yeah. countries. Where for them, it wasn't that they couldn't get good beer. This They couldn't get innovative beer. Yeah. And whereas here in the States, we just wanted something that didn't taste like, I don't know, rat piss. Over there, <laughs> over there don't ask me how I know what that tastes like. <laughs> over there, they just, they're begging some of these breweries to innovate and to try something different and to not, you know, retain the same recipes they've been using for 600, 700, 1,000 yeah, like- years. And there's been no attempt at change or innovation. So, yeah, these younger breweries, uh, of course, they're going to be finding market share. Like in Germany, it's not that they can't find good beer because 
the most stupid amounts of good beer. It's just that they wanted beer that had hops in it. Yeah, yeah, and and <laughs> name a, name a yeah. traditional German brewery that even made an attempt to make an IPA. And that's why Stone, God bless them, they stumbled into something really brilliant by building a place in Berlin. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the IPA thing is not yeah. just an American fascination, and uh, that's also on here. Uh, Stone is actually opening a second uh, tap room in Germany, which is. Uh, yeah, yeah, an excellent start. And the funny thing is, 80% of the beer they make in Berlin goes to England. <laughs> but there's still this uh, awesome just like undercurrent of, of craft beer growing in Germany. So it's, it's been interesting to see happen. Uh, U.S. extends tariff leaf on their steel and aluminum tariffs to NAFTA and the EU until June because, you know, there's an extra month. Okay, yay. Uh, not a whole lot of follow-up on that. It's it, it, Yeah, we'll, we'll fall down that <laughs> rabbit hole off air. <laughs> yeah. Uh, aside from that, oh, Molson Coors, they're, uh, they posted their Q1 earnings, and they dropped nearly 5% in Q1. Uh, Molson Coors being the company that is the parent company of the American subsidiary Miller Coors. Uh, essentially, anytime you see a Miller or Coors product, it's owned by Molson yeah. Coors, uh, at least within U.S. and Canada. Maybe that's uh, what Pete Coors was actually pissed off about. That's kind of <laughs> what I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they, they saw a uh, 7% decline in the U.S. in terms of sales to wholesalers. They say it was because they have this new ordering system, so they actually undershipped by a decent amount. Um, and they've had some huge out-of-stock problems. You could make that argument. There, There's a possibility of that argument. The only issue is they also saw a 4% decline in sales to retailers, which is the beer actually getting out. <laughs> to customers yeah. so at the very least four percent of that uh that three uh that seven percent decline was literally just people don't want your damn beer yeah <laughs> so yeah it's definitely not a good look for them and definitely something they're gonna have to pivot and adjust for i think that's all i got when it comes to uh brew news for the day like i said it was a pretty bulky week yeah. not a whole lot of huge stories but a whole lot of interesting ones yeah so uh, we were talking a little about what we wanted to talk about this week, Ryan, and you floated a, an incredible <laughs> idea, and I, I think this ties in well with the uh, with Doctor uh, Jackson Beckham. Yeah. Uh, just the idea of how do you how do you educate people who might not be super into craft beer, yeah. without coming across as patronizing, pretentious, or uh, you know. Uh, treating them like an outsider yeah, basically how do you do this without without sounding like the simpsons comic book guy yeah <laughs> just the way i put well, it you, you didn't know that you know that's, that's how we do it. I, I went way more stewy on that <laughs> <laughs> and it's an excellent point uh yeah and, and you know as the industry continues to grow i forget if it was andy thomas or sam collagione they made the point that we are reaching the size within the craft beer industry where we can no longer counter market we're not going to be able yes. to market ourselves as an industry in opposition to big beer we're no longer just the plucky upstarts yeah we're not the plucky upstarts we're no longer the the little guys going up against massive macro beer we're a we're no longer a niche part of the industry yeah. we're part of the industry yeah. and as a result we're having to find ways to reach out to customers who might not be motivated by that you know necessarily by that initial reaction of you know i just hate big beer well, we have to find ways of, of bringing them into the fold and educating them as to why craft beer is the better option. And the funny thing is, a lot of the younger people who are starting to drink craft beer, they've never had to drink 
big beer. They've never had the college experience of drinking Schaefer, as I have. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just got a look on your face like, I, I've seen some things, and I've done <laughs> some stuff, had a rough time. Yeah, I mean, their cheap beer, probably, they started off at, like, Sam Adams. Yeah. Like, as, you know, as much as we... Want to <laughs> play some beer pong? I got yingling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what, that's their experience, and so, yeah, so they don't... You know, they probably don't quite see this as the same as the same way as we did as entering craft beer because we did start off drinking like just horrid stuff. And there's Honestly. a little less of that fire because yeah. they, they they don't know how bad it can get. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I barely remember how yeah. bad it can get. I mean, I, I I think I turned 21 in 2008. So yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it was yeah, not that I. Yeah, I, I never drank beer before that, I promise, Mom, Dad. Uh, <laughs> but it's one of those things that even then, when you had few options, at least you're cognizant in the background that there were craft breweries out there making something that, at the very least, was different, even yeah. if, if you didn't know whether or not it was better. But yeah, like you said, a lot of the kids who are coming of age these days, they literally have never had to have that experience where they didn't have an option even at the grocery store or the, the gas station, except yeah. in Colorado, uh, where, <laughs> where there wasn't at least one or two craft options for them. Yeah, and one of the things I've been, keep going with this, one of the things I've noticed in educating people as they come into the bar is there's usually two different kinds of people who ask you questions about the beer. There's the one person who's asking you because they generally want to know they're kind of curious about craft beer and they generally want to know you know what is an esb exactly or what is a schwartz beer and then there's the other people that come in and they usually start coming in around eight o'clock on a friday or saturday night and their question that they have for you is what good ipas do you have (laughs) (laughs) ah the bros yeah, and that question, and that's one of those where you, sometimes I do have to fight myself because there, that is, as we know, that is not a just black and white question. That is, yeah, there, there's, <laughs> that's actually a very a difficult question, very large question, <laughs> and, I, and I think that's important to, to drive home is when when you're working in a bar, you're working in the industry, you're part of this industry. There are certain questions that you hear time and time again, or certain types of people you see time and time again, and I'm going to call them the the yeah, I'm, I'm going to catch flack for this, but like the less educated craft beer consumers. Yeah. Or some of them might not even really be craft beer consumers, but they could be. They're potential yes. craft beer consumers. And, you know, you'll get the guy who walks in. What do you got that's like Bud Light? And okay. you got the people who walk in. I did. What What you got with like the most IBUs? Yeah. Or you'll get the person who walks in and is just like, dude, I need something really high gravity. Yeah. Like the highest gravity you got. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, <laughs> what? what uh, what chick beers do you have? And it, you you see these people, yeah. and for a lot for a lot of people in the industry, they get so frustrated with them. They're like, "Well, how about you just piss off?" Is what you can do. Yeah. And I feel like that's the wrong approach. Yeah. Because uh, some people ask, they're like, "Why do we need to focus on education? If these people don't know what they're talking about, why do we need to to show them? Why why do we need to even give them our time of day?" Because you want them to come back. Yeah, you want them to come <laughs> back. And it's really kind of a twofold thing. I mean, first off, as the industry continues to grow, we're going to need these folks just to keep growing. Yes. I mean, every one of those people that you turn away, that that's dollars walking right out of your front door, and, and you can have been converting them. Yeah. 
Uh, and two, uh, honestly, craft beer, beer in general, is for everybody. It's one of the wonderful things about it. it it's not something that's limited to white dudes with beards. It's not limited to people in the know. You don't need that yeah. level of pretension to it. It's Our country's concept was founded over pints of beer at the local tavern. It's yeah. the most versatile beverage on the planet. And I think that speaks to the fact that there is a beer or type of beer or variety of beers for literally everybody yeah. and we just need to make them feel like yeah you got a place here too let me let me help show you yeah that this isn't me showing you what i love this is something that you could love as well i think one of our things as craft beer people is to think when you're talking to someone who's not a craft beer person is a figuring out where they are on that spectrum and then figuring out how much of your ridiculous and stupid knowledge of this one thing that you can distill to them so that they can so you can keep them like I said keep them coming back and make their experience with beer enjoyable and there's a huge difference between just being somebody who knows a lot about crap beer and being someone who's a good beer communicator yes Uh, how how bad would it have been if Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, looked at the Cosmos series and they're like, you know, we're going to make this as technical as, and inaccessible yes. as possible because yeah. I shouldn't have to explain these concepts to you peasants. <laughs> no, no, they're great <laughs> communicators. Bill Nye, yeah. for example, like how many kids got into science and are now in STEM careers because, because of Bill, Bill Nye, Nye, the science yeah. guy, making it accessible, making it seem like something even kids could take part in. Yeah. And here's the thing. I mean, as much as people might love to, to hate on the Bud Light guy, at the end of the day, how many of us started there? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the easiest. Per- that's honestly the easiest person to because they don't with. know that there's other yeah. options. And and once you show them, a lot of times they'll convert themselves. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, I've said many, many times. Uh, as much as I may not be a huge fan of it myself, uh, the craft beer industry owes, owes more to Blue Moon than any other yeah. single beer. Yeah. That beer showed more people that not all beer tasted the same at a time when there really weren't a whole lot of opportunities to show people that. that for me, I know that was, for me, the thing that showed me that not all beer tasted like, you know, American adjunct lagers. Yeah. I think if we did, like, the did a list of the f- most important beers, I would say, for craft beer, I would say Blue Moon, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, Sam Adams, and maybe Yingling. Yeah, there, there's those it, are all your entry beers. Yeah, these yeah. are the ways people get into craft beer. Yeah. So rather than judging them, we should be embracing that and saying, "Hey, I have an opportunity to create a a customer, yeah. b maybe a friend, and and c a fellow drunk." So, <laughs> but if you want to make fun of Boston beer for selling more Angry Orchard rosé than you know Sam Adams, go right ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that, that's perfectly acceptable. Make fun of Angry Orchard all you want. We'll we'll have some fun at their expense on the cider episode. <laughs> Oh God! Yes. We yeah, that, that's uh, that'll definitely be happening. <laughs> uh, so, so some of the questions is how how do what is the way to go about educating somebody on this? And I know this is sort of at the crux of the business that you literally just started, Ryan. Yeah. Because a lot of what I want to do is part of what I want to do with craft beer consulting is a training for people who work in bars and tap rooms, and so I've actually. As a manager at the craft tasting room, that's one of the things that I've had to. We worked with our bartenders on just actually in more in an informal way there, but I want to do more of a, a formal thing with uh, the business. But it's when someone comes up and they say, you know, like a bro comes up and he says, "What good IPAs do you have?" You have the best 
for me, the thing I found that the best way is to say, okay, we got a lot of IPAs up. What IPA do you? What IPA have you drank that you like a lot? What that way? Because we have a lot of IPAs up, and like we said, that's a more complicated question than just IPAs. Because there's West Coast IPAs, there's New England style IPAs, there's slash juicy IPAs, there's East Coast IPAs, there's English English IPAs, IPAs. red IPAs, black IPAs, IPAs, white IPAs, IPAs, the entire rainbow. Yeah, that's depend on, and you know, it just depends on what kind of hop profile you're looking for and it and are you looking for bitter or are you looking just for hoppy that's another question that you have to get people to understand bitter and hoppy even in not, the industry yeah. we can't get people straight <laughs> on that that's yeah. and it's such an easy parlance too yeah. to, to fall into but you're 100 percent right and there's there's an adage in sales that if you're trying to sell something to somebody you should be asking them more questions than they're asking yes you should yeah. be discovering that you figure out their pressure points so to speak the things yeah. their their values things that are important to them. In the case of beer, figure out the beers that they already like. Yeah. And that'll help you find converter beers, I call them. It's the things that allow you to, to maybe guide them towards something more specific. If they tell you they really like Sierra Nevada Pale, and yeah, you that. got some American Pale Ales on the board, that's pretty easy. But yeah. if they tell you you like Blue Moon, start directing them towards the Whip beer. Yeah. Uh, you might even be able to get them going on a traditional Hefeweizen. I mean, a lot yeah. of people, they like that light, airy, with a hints of uh, you know, yeast character. And they're very different characters between a Hefeweizen and a Whitbeer. Yeah. But there's but, some commonalities yeah. as well. Um, and it's, a, it's important to kind of feel out for them. Don't try to force something that this is the best beer we have on. I don't know if you've had this uh, Bourbon Barrel Age Imperial Stout that has, uh, you know, had... Uh, cherries and maple syrup and also an entire, you know, skinned hog put into it. But, you know, that's definitely the best thing we have on, man. Drink it. All I actually it. had a guy get mad at me because he asked me, what's your favorite beer? I'll drink that. I'm like, and this was right when we first opened. So I didn't, I hadn't quite figured oh, yeah. out. And I didn't know. So I was like, okay, yeah, this. And he's like, he did, oh, that's horrible. I'm like, you, well, you said what's my favorite beer. <laughs> yeah. So yep. I got 36 tabs. My favorite beer happens to be a, right now, my favorite beer on the board. It's still up is the Sweeney Porter from Thirsty Nomad. Yeah. It's a great English-style porter. It's easily quaffable. Just, yeah, it's a great beer. But if someone only likes IPAs, they walk in, ask you what your favorite is, you give them that, they're probably going to be a little irritated. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, it is on them, but at the end of the day, you know, customers always right is, is so often misused, yeah. but there is a core, like a kernel of truth yeah. in there. It, don't argue with the customer. Yeah. It, yeah, it's their mistake for doing that, but you should have known better than yeah. to just give them something at random. You should have asked ask those this, questions. Yeah, you should have asked the follow-up questions. Like, yeah, okay, I know what my favorite beer is, but what kind of beer do you like? And I can yeah. tell you a good beer that's like that. And not just in case my favorite beer isn't like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's okay, too, if people have a limited range of things they like. I, I have yeah. one customer, one of our regulars, who... All he likes are IPAs. Not only that, he only likes very low malt, high citrus, but still with a, a good bitter backbone IPAs. We're talking like an extremely <laughs> narrow range, but he religiously drinks them. Yeah. Absolutely loves them. Um, yeah. He will seek them out. He goes to breweries looking for them. He is a craft beer nut, yeah. but he has a very narrow palate, and that's okay. Yeah. He's happy. As long as I know his palate enough to where I can help him on that path, then then there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Let 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 him do him. Now the fact that he puts ice in his beer, I've tried that's to talk to him about. That's a huge, <laughs> huge problem. And I won't call you out by name, but you know who you are, and I'm sure you're listening right now. <laughs> 
it's not okay. But yeah, I think yeah, it's the getting people to the right beers. That's a lot of what being in the craft beer industry is about. Again, yeah, we are like you said, we are now a part of the beer industry. We're not just the plucky upstarts trying to fight the man. We're kind of the man now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so it's but we still have a lot of people that we can bring in and to convert to craft beer and so a lot of what everybody who works on the business side of craft beer has to be concerned with is educating the public because, yeah, there are a lot of people who are, they're a Bud Light guy and they've never tried craft beer. And then their their son or their son-in-law, the day before the wedding, they go out to a couple of breweries as part of the, like, bachelor party thing. That has kind of become the new strip club is going, oh, yeah, going to the breweries. Probably, yeah, as oh, the we've had people party. since we open at 11 o'clock on Saturdays. We have, we're have we usually like the first stop for some of these oh, parties. Oh, yeah, you guys are kind of perfectly <laughs> located for that. And I'll be honest, yeah. the one that really uh, like warms the cockles of my heart, you're starting to see some bachelorette parties. Oh, we've had, oh, we have that and too. And I, I love yeah. that, man. Like that, that, If that doesn't tell you about we how much you industry shower two weeks ago on a Saturday. Did you guys really? Yes. That's, that's we awesome. We have another one coming up on May 13th. Yeah, we we looked into doing our baby shower at a brewery. My wife can't even drink right now. Oh, like, you're doing it. Well, you are doing it at a bar. Yeah, we are doing you're it at a bar, bar, but that's because all the breweries are way too damn expensive. You know who you are. I emailed you all. Well, you should have called me. I was. Oh, that would have been freaking smart. <laughs> I'm an idiot. When you said kickstand, I was like, well, why didn't you just let me know? We could have reserved part of the. I'm an part. idiot. Because <laughs> I'm an idiot. That's why, Ryan. I, yeah, yeah, there it is. I'm exposed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, because... <laughs> hate you. I hate me, but I hate you as response. Uh, <laughs> but to, to get back on topic, uh, <laughs> one of the other things I think is so important is, uh, so there's this thing that, that a lot of people do when they're explaining something that A, they're passionate about, or B, that they know a lot about. They get over-technical. Yeah. And yes. there's I've no... Had to, I've had to stop myself. Oh, yeah, because it's so to easy to do. It. I, and my inclination is to do the same thing. Um, uh, my boss, I, I love the man to death. But he has this tendency to do exactly that. He'll start getting into yeast strains and the chemical compounds that create all flavors. And, and it's because he's so passionate. It's because he wants to, to educate other people uh, to be as passionate as he is. But the yeah. problem is, yo, you, you don't hop on a motorcycle at age six. You start on a bike with training wheels. There's a reason for yeah. that. And you have to be able to introduce the fact to, uh, these things to people in a way that they will understand and be able to absorb because let's face it. And, and I know this sounds ridiculous coming from people who have, you know, beer podcasts, beer blogs, uh, beer business, work in the beer industry. I have beer tattoos, but there's more important things to life than beer. Yes. And for a lot of people, there's a lot of more important things yeah. to life than beer. And that's okay. If yeah. they're super into music, they might be super into, I don't know, crochet. But at the end of the day, uh, they might not have the space in their head that they either want or can commit to learning what diacetyl and acetaldehyde and dimethyl sulfide are. All they want is a wheat beer. Yeah, all they want is a wheat beer. And there are ways to educate these people without yeah. taking such a head-first dive into, into an empty pool. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, you were talking about ESBs earlier. ESB, English style, extra special bitter. Uh, not that bitter. Uh, also, not that special. Yeah. So, <laughs> very extra though. <laughs> so, it, I've seen a lot of people who they dive too deep into it. And it's, if you explain it to somebody, think of it like an English pale ale. So it's going to yeah. be a little hoppy, but not too bad. Yeah, eh, kind of amber. 
They'll yeah. do a lot better than diving into the entire history of ESBs and why relatively they're, you know, bitter back at the time. And it was, you know, run in comparison to, to milds versus, you know, ordinary bitters. And there's gradations of strength if you go historically in English <laughs> ales. And you're going to lose them completely. Yeah. It's better to get them 75% of the way there. And if they want to and decide to and choose to pursue further than that, they can. Than to lose them 100% and turn them off and make them think that craft beer people are just pretentious assets. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes we don't even put like ESB. I don't. Sometimes we don't even put that up. We usually call it either an English pale or an English amber, depending on how dark it is. Well, the there's a brewery right here in North Carolina who their focus is almost entirely top to bottom English styles. Yep. They they're owned by an English gentleman. Yes, they are. Uh, and they for years had a fantastic ESB that great, they just recently renamed an amber. Yeah, <laughs> for exactly that reason, yep. ESBs don't sell and. Uh, I don't fault them one bit. And yeah. some people in the industry have cried foul, and they're like, well, you need to be educating them better. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but most people time. don't care, and <laughs> you're not getting that opportunity with people walking through a grocery store. One of my favorite beers is Dark Helmet, the Schwartz beer. So good. But this year they changed the name. It's, it's a black not, lager, it's right? It's a black lager now. It's which, not a Schwartz beer. Is what, which, which, which is, what which is an accurate term. Yeah, it's, yeah. But yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what the name means. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, black black beer is what Schwartz beer means. And also, that's where the name of the beer, Dark Helmet, came from. Oh yeah, the Schwartz be with you. Yeah, which is such a fantastic yeah, name. But they can't call it a Schwartz beer because, as someone who is welcome to Aaron and Ryan's <laughs> German uh, language practice hour, as someone who's put it up on the board and rich, written Schwartz beer when we first got it, you get the question: What is a Schwartz beer? It's time and time again, and it it it's hard to sell Schwartz beers. Yeah, and that is one of the easiest styles to sell to somebody if you can get them we to can taste, taste it. it. You must say taste it. Everybody loves it. Everybody <laughs> loves it. It's one of the most universally likable styles of yes. beer you can find, but that name intimidates the hell out of people. Uh, and you're, you're 100% right. It makes it tough. So black lager is just way better. And even then, the, the if you put black in labeling, it, it also tends to help because people understand stout. They see black and they they assume it's just going to be like molasses. Yeah. It, like they assume it's going to have a thick body, yeah. and it, it short beers are the opposite. opposite. Like that, it just blows my mind with people with. Uh, you can always tell someone who hasn't had a Guinness in a while, and they're like, oh, "I don't want a Guinness. I feel like it's heavy." It's like, when was the last Guinness you had? <laughs> that thing is light as hell. Because probably what it is, the last stout they had was something like KBS. Yeah. <laughs> so they like Guinness is a stout, so it's going to taste like KBS. Like no, 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 no. It's going to taste almost the opposite of what yeah, it is. There, there is, other than the color, there's almost nothing in common between those two beers. Oh, and then, my, oh, my favorite that we've used, this is actually in the Brewers Association and the BJCP style books, the Cascadian Dark Ale for Black IPA. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> Black IPA, nobody likes Black IPAs. But in fairness, like... no one knows Cascadian Dark Ale, so it's almost as bad. That's... <laughs> yeah. That's that's just a non-starter style, which is a shame because I've had some good ones. They're tough to balance. I think the uh, the last time we just tried to call it a hoppy porter. Hoppy. <laughs> it was just like it's we've not run, completely wrong. Yeah, we've run out of things. Here's the worst part. If you're being more accurate, it's really a hoppy Schwartz beer. <laughs> yeah. But a nail. <laughs> Man, there's no good way of marketing it's black a, it's IPAs. a hoppy dunkle. The hoppy, hoppy dunkle. I actually drink the hell out of a hoppy dunkle. I kind of want to give that a try now. That might be my next homebrew. I'm going to make a hoppy dunkle. Dude, that, actually, that actually does not sound bad, by the way. It doesn't, it doesn't sound terrible. I'm surprised no one's tried that yet. 
Yeah, it's a crap beer industry. They'll get around to it. Already somebody's writing this down like, son of a bitch, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make millions. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Between the pints, we're making people millions. <laughs> Take that as gospel. <laughs> as, uh, it's part of what's so important about education is, is a lot of these people, they, they, they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. Or they know just enough. To, yeah, they don't know what they don't know, or they know just enough to be kind of dangerous for their friends who are yeah, coming well, that's with them. Also, <laughs> very, very true. And and for the most part, most of those things you can kind of let go. I mean, you'd rather educate them on the spot than in a, a nice, gentle way than to go ahead and have them continue to be completely misled. Um, yeah. For example, uh, beer myths, and th- these we hear these all the time. Everybody's got these borderline like. Uh, you know, magical ideas about certain things about beer. The the big one that I always make a point of correcting people on, for one, it helps uh, improve sales, and for two, it's just, it's so patently wrong, and everybody has heard it, is if I let my cold beer get warm, it skunks. And that is, so so in case you've somehow managed to find our podcast and you don't know any better, that's not true. That's not true at all. Skunking is caused by UV light and only UV light. And you can get oxidation over time, if you, especially if you leave your beer warm. But it doesn't matter if it was ever cold in the past. And it, uh, you know, it takes time. We're talking in the course of you know, a couple months at least. So you see some of these people, they just won't buy beer out of our fridge because they're so worried. Oh, I'm not going to get home in time to get it in the cooler before it you know, warms up again. I'm like, yeah. dude, that's in can. You ain't got to worry about that <laughs> like, at all. Like, and you're planning to drink it this weekend, you can let that sit in your car and get up to, like, 90 degrees, and you're still going to be fine. Just get it cold before you drink it. Yeah. And you hear these propagated so often, and so it, there is a bit of responsibility, both, by, like, from a business standpoint as well as just, you know, the general interest standpoint to, you know, let people know that just because you heard that in college ain't true. The reason that your Keystone Light tasted like piss is because it was Keystone Light, not because you <laughs> let it get warm and then cooled it back down again. Yeah, and yeah, and well, we get that a lot from brewery reps for certain breweries. They insist that their beers be cold from the time it leaves their brewery. Until Who it... could you be referring to, Ryan? Well, there's actually like two or three. That there I'm are there are a couple <laughs> of them ahead, but yeah, even <laughs> just in Charlotte. Uh, and it's always best practice to keep, yeah, everything, keep everything cold. cold. That's yeah. always best practice, but you have to keep in mind that. It's best practice because over time, if that's sitting there for two or three months, it will accelerate it somewhat. But letting a beer sit warm for three days is not going to damage anything. The only real risk in a kegged beer, if it's sitting warm, is re-fermentation, which is a very real possibility, and it can definitely spoil a lot of, you know, beers over time. But, you know, if if you're sitting out for a day or two before you get thrown into a cooler, it's not going to hurt anything. Just make sure you give it time to cool down before you throw it on the taps. And that's more just to prevent ridiculous foaming. So, yeah, it's important to to provide that education. That's almost more coming, like, within the industry. But that's more marketing from their standpoint. Actually, you know what that is. That's a way of them making sure that they're keeping that cooler space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, uh, I guess, uh, really, the point we want to drive home is just, you know, educate, but be gentle, guys. Like, a lot of these folks don't know any better, and they need a guiding hand. It's better to have you acting as a pathfinder and a trailblazer for them, yeah. showing them the right path, than to treat them like they've somehow screwed up for even asking. I'd rather have people ask than continue on in ignorance. Yeah. And it's, and like I said, it's that you have to gauge what the 
you have to gauge what the person is actually looking for as far as information is not just not just beer but as far as information because you have some people they'll come in and they'll ask for do you have any IPAs do you have any sours do you have any stouts on tap and really all they they just want you to get them a beer so they can go stand over there with their friends and talk and there are other people who will come in. You mean in. people don't want to labor for four and a half hours trying to pick exactly the right beer because it may be the only one they ever get? Yeah, exactly. And then there's other people, they'll come in and they'll actually be curious about stuff. They'll like, when they ask you what an ESB is, they you have to figure out, do they really want to know what an ESB is or are they just trying to find a something easy to drink? Oh, yeah. If someone <laughs> asks me like, oh, yeah, uh, can you please tell me the entire history and details of the ESB? I will happily... <laughs> Engage in a two-hour-long rant. <laughs> if this podcast has shown nothing, it has shown that I love to rant about stuff that I, that I'm passionate about. But it, it, they sh- that, they shouldn't get that if literally all they wanted to find out is if it's hoppy or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's that's where, like you said, if you're trying to educate someone, you need to ask them more questions than they're asking you. Because yeah, you need to find out: Are you just looking for a hoppy beer, a non-hoppy beer, a dark beer, a light beer, a sour? And, we can get into sours at some point. We should do a sour show because just aren't all sours the same? It's like yeah, it's, that's the other thing. It's like you, someone who comes in and they're expecting the kettle sour that they had for the first time two weeks ago, and all you have is a Flanders Red on top. They're Boy, that's a yeah, that's gonna be an yeah, interesting transition. Oh well, we've had that, and it's like <laughs> you ask for a sour. That's the only sour we have on, but it's not really sour. It's like. Yeah, it actually is sour, but it's it's complex. Tart, it's vinegary. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> dude, Flanders Red are my favorite style. Yes. And anytime that people ask me that question, what's your favorite beer we have on? Oh, we got Rodenbach Alexander on, uh, but I'm gonna have to ease you on into this. I ain't giving you a full yeah. pint. I, I'm giving you a sample, whether you like it or not, because uh, because uh, okay. I've had that backfire on me way, way too yeah. many times. Like we had the High Wire Flanders. We actually had one of the few kegs, like one of the two or three kegs of the High Wire Flanders Red on cherries. On oh tap yeah, a few weeks ago, and it's a great, great beer. But someone asked for that, asked for a sour, and that happened the only one we had on. So I poured them a taste of it, and they were like, "Ooh, I don't. That's not really what I was looking for." They were looking for like the a sharper lacto primary yeah. kettle sour that hurts their teeth. I was like, no, that's and that's the thing, and it's the same issue that you have. And we're definitely getting off topic here, but it's a similar issue to to what you see in IPAs. Yeah, you can do a lot with hops. So when you say IPA, it's a broad category, and we're sours aren't well categorized yet. Yeah, and and sour is technically not a category. There's it's a broad yeah. It, it covers basically anything that's categories. acid forward, uh, and and a lot of people don't really realize that. And it, it, uh, to be fair, the market has not it, done a not, good job of of portraying that. So you get things that have deep complexity. You get things that are funk forward. You get things that are more just fruited and tart, and not even really acidic. You get yeah. You things get wild that, ales that aren't sour ales. at all, but they have to be called something, so you call them. Yeah, they're they're just catty and funky. But what yeah. else are you gonna call them? You exactly. you get uh, you know the Flemish ales, which are acetic. Uh, so man, we let's talk about diving into the technical stuff. All right, <laughs> uh, welcome to Between the Pints, where you should do as we say, not as we do. I think that just shows how hard it is on this on that side of the bar when for. Uh, why there needs to be more training and education for people on that side of the bar because if only a, we had a business yeah. that was dedicated to exactly <laughs> that because there's a lot like, there's a lot of information that you will probably have that your customer a doesn't have b doesn't really care about and you just have to figure out how to just maneuver them to 
herd them to where you want to where they <laughs> think they want to go basically <laughs> oh man i love how this show has turned into one long plug for your business and we've also decided that the real goal is to manipulate your customers into going where you knew they wanted all the time <laughs> what do we got for recommendations buddy? <laughs> oh, staying on the flanders red and complex sours my beer recommendation is the duchess de Burgoyne. it's just such a good beer that is my. That might be my favorite beer of all time. Yeah, it's just so rich and complex. And do you like red wine vinegar? Would yeah. you like it if that was a beer? Yeah, and it goes and it went great with the lasagna I made last night. Was, uh, oh man, that actually sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah dude, Flanders Reds they they go well with a lot of things, but yeah. man, they they tomatoes and carbs and a Flanders Red just yeah. sounds that ideal. <laughs> And that is one of those styles. That, do, do you tend to drink your Flanders? Uh, uh, do you tend to drink them like warm, cold? Because I know I'm in the minority, but I like mine just room temperature. That is my for me. That is one of those few styles I don't even put in the fridge. It, the complexity like is just so yeah. amazing. Oh. I like it a little chilled, but yeah, not probably closer to like cellar temperatures. Probably, like 55 yeah. degrees, kind of yeah, red wine like temp. Yeah. 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 Maybe a little bit colder than that. Okay, yeah, yeah I, I can get behind you that. Still, yeah, you, that's where the I like my Flanders really Red, a piping 112 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> that's that about the 50, 55 degrees, right where the all the complexity really starts to come out. So yeah, it's yeah, mm, that beer is so just good. absolutely fantastic. It's cheap as hell too. Yeah, like you for you can get a 750 of that for like six, seven bucks, depending on where you're going. It, yeah. it, it is really, really not bad. Even the more expensive ones, you can get under 10 bucks, no problem. I, yeah adore that beer uh, yeah if you guys haven't tried it, it is definitely <laughs> make sure you've had a flanders red beforehand because it's about the most acetic you know vinegary flanders red on the market <laughs> but it is just absolutely fantastic yeah and i like i said that's one of my favorite beers and uh, i'll drink it if you have a bottle and you want me to come drink it just just tell me <laughs> when and where i'll be there i'll show up no questions <laughs> asked dude you would better hit me up if anybody does <laughs> if we get like a like a rash of emails of people like yeah please come drink my bottle of duchess yeah i am going to have these on all of those uh for my beer today i'm going to recommend the qc pills by noda brewing right here in charlotte yeah uh so noda brewing is definitely one of the most highly regarded and largest breweries in the city but they are not one that's really known for their loggers to speak of at all they only do one or two a year typically and they've really never done just a standard old school classical pilsner yeah you'd never know it this, yeah. this is one of the best craft pilsners probably top two or three best craft pilsners i've ever had yeah. they they managed to absolutely knock it out of the park it's for me i put it right up there with captain lawrence's as well as wooden robots the first batch of wooden robots pills <laughs> and and you can tell dan i said that uh <laughs> um but yeah, they absolutely knocked it out of the park. It's just extremely clean drinking. Um, the hot profile is nice, uh, slightly spicy, but not overpronounced. Just enough to let you know it's there. Uh, they use American hops, but it reads real old world, yeah. you know, noble profile. I I don't think I would change a damn thing on yeah, that. That's a really good. And yeah, we kicked that keg really in good, yeah. a day. That's yeah. uh, I think the fastest we've ever kicked a pilsner. It, it was absolutely remarkable. Yeah. And a, a testament to just the talent of all the guys over there. And I know they're kind of you know the the big you know brewery that people have kind of stopped really thinking of as an innovation brewery but they continuously turn out quality stuff after quality stuff well, once they built the new brewery 
they started using the old brewery as their innovation basically brewery. innovation brewery. And, and that's where this like, came from. Yeah, I, exactly I talked to happened. Chad, and he was telling me this came from the old brewery. Uh, yeah. He went ahead and you know just decided to go ahead and do a, a nice traditional pilsner. And it's not exactly what you think of coming from an innovation brewery, but when you're an ale brewery, yeah. And you're known for your huge hoppy beers and things like Hot Pistol and No Tejito, where yeah. you have all these, you know, really pronounced adjuncts. Something as simple as a Pilsner can be kind of radical for you, and they, yeah. they nailed it. I mean, people who are from outside the industry might look at a Pilsner and say, you know, why would I even order that? You know, if I want to see how good a brewery is, I'll order the big Imperial Stout. And the opposite no, is no. true. Ask any brewer or anybody in the industry, if you want a true gauge of the quality of a brewery, order their pills, order yeah. their Kolsch, order their blonde ale, their cream ale, because you can't hide anything. Yes. Any yeah. issues in the process, you'll see right there, which it ties into why I hate Funky Buddha, because their core beers are just so terrible. And yeah, no, I, I will do a whole episode on my hatred of <laughs> Funky Buddha if I have to. Oh, yeah, I will. Yeah, I will. Sorry, Spencer. You're yeah, awesome, dude. Love I love you, Spencer. You. Love you, dude. <laughs> Yeah, they are. Yeah, at, like you said, whenever someone says, "How good is this brewery?" You go, "Yeah, don't like you said, don't go with the stouts, don't go with the hop, don't go with the hop forward IPAs. Go with something like a blonde, like a wit, or like a pilsner or a colt, something lighter where you you can't hide stuff with hops and more chocolate malt or." Belgian sugar. You can't. You actually have to. Yeah, you're getting it, the what ingredients in the yeah. brewing process and nothing else, and and you can't. Yeah, you like you said, you can't hide. Yeah. Uh, cider wise, I'm going with uh, El Chavo from Blake's Hard Cider. Uh, they're out of uh, Michigan. If it, none of you guys have checked out anything from Blake's, they they are a orchard uh, orchard cidery. Uh, you don't see a whole lot of those doing large-scale distribution, but they have a massive orchard up there, and, and they're pretty easy to find, at least on the eastern half of the country. And yeah. their El Chavo is just spectacular. It's habanero and mango uh, in, with using nothing but apples from their actual orchard itself, uh, all Michigan apples, mostly culinary varieties, yeah. so it's a little on the sweeter side. But the, the mango and the habanero play so nicely to round out and add complexity to the flavor. It's not over-hot, which you get with a lot of, beers that use pepper in them. The mango doesn't come across as, as boozy. That's one of my big complaints about mango in general in beer. It's my absolute favorite fruit to eat. I love mango, but it can, it, it kind of imitates fusel, uh, which is that like sharp alcoholic yeah. flavor that a lot of people think of when they think alcohol. Uh, so it, it, they do a good job of tempering it all and, and making it for a product that's not oversweet. It's well-rounded. It's not too hot and just the perfect thing to sit and sip on a warm day. And I actually do have a cider recommendation, the Reverend Nat's New Moon Mandarin. Ooh, I haven't had this one yet. It's really good. It's a mandarin chamomile. It's not too... It's mandarin, so it's really nice, crisp, and light. This is one of the things I like about it. It's really easy light to Light citrus. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that chamomile probably makes it like slightly perfumey, almost honey-ish. yeah. yeah. And it, com- and it comes out orange, a little, little tinge of orange to it, but it's just really good, really light, easy drinking. Was it like six point seven point two percent? It's just not too bad, and it's just like good. It's like, like I said, it's a good flavored cider that you know you can just sit and drink a lot of. I wouldn't, you, know, you can sit and drink a lot of it, and it's Revan Nash. I like <laughs> that everything. sounds like yeah. it's coming from experience. Yeah, I drink, <laughs> it, they only come in like seven fifty bottles when we finish it. And Reverend yeah. Naz is definitely one of those cideries. They're they're kind of like a, 
they're another one of those kind of throw stuff at a wall and see yeah. what sticks. I've had some terrible stuff from them yeah. uh, without calling out any particular varieties, but I've also had some really, really good yeah. stuff. And they, they innovate so much that you, you can always rest assured there will be something new and, and yeah. cool from them. And uh, I think they're always worth taking a risk on. Yeah. And one of the cool things that Nat does is he, most ciders use um, champagne good yeast. Nat. <laughs> use champagne yeast, but he uses beer yeast in his ciders, which gives it a, a slightly heavier feel in your mouth than the champagne yeast does, which is really interesting when you get into cider. Also tends not to uh, process it out quite as dry. Yeah. So it leaves a, leaves a little more of the residual sugars, yeah. but some of the more complex sugars. So you're not... A lot of ciders, they actually ferment them completely to dryness, and then they back sweeten it with apple juice. Yeah. Uh, they don't really need to do that. It, it finishes with a little bit of that residual sugar still in there, so yeah. you're not getting the cloying sweetness, but you still have some of that sweetness right at the back there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely some good stuff. Uh, and they're huge on the West Coast. They've only recently yeah. rolled out this way, but they're, they're massive cidery out there. Uh, what do you got for us non-beer related? My non-beer related recommendation this week to go. Last week I uh, recommended another wire related thing so i to, get it so to kind of stay in that same vein <laughs> i'm gonna recommend the hitman's bodyguard the hitman's bodyguard samuel l jackson and ryan reynolds just running around europe blowing shit up and having fun that's that's pretty much, really all, that's all, all that you movie need is. in any movie <laughs> that literally is all that movie is and it is it's it's ridiculous it's if they even had a script for that movie, they did it wrong. <laughs> they should have just let those two just ad-lib the entire freaking movie. <laughs> Imagine that Deadpool and Nick Fury just riding around Europe blowing stuff up. That That is perfect. And it, 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 it's a fun, it's literally, it's just one of those, I think it was, I don't know why it was didn't do well last year. Because it, like you said, it seems like this is the kind of movie you just want to go to on a summer afternoon. In fairness, Ryan Reynolds has had like one commercial success ever, Deadpool. and that was Deadpool. Yeah. Like, like he he is box office bust all over him. And I I love Ryan. Reynolds. I've loved like Ryan Reynolds almost his entire career. But oh, I remember him from Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Oh, that's as far back as you can literally yeah. go. Yeah, I think Waiting was the first time I, I saw yeah. him. But like he's he's been fantastic in everything forever. He seems a, like a great dude. He seems like a great dude. He's a he's a decent he's a not a bad actor. He's a pretty good actor. I actually he's, like him even yeah. in serious roles. Yeah, he's a good actor. He's really pretty. I don't understand why people don't like seeing him in movies. We're really uh, bre- breaking news here. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Reynolds is pretty. Boy, we really uh, <laughs> cracked that one open. No one knew that. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. He seems like the kind of guy who should be a massive box office success, yeah. and yet for some reason, anything you put him in that's not Deadpool, and they cover his face for most of the time and make it look like a scrotum for the rest of the time, <laughs> Uh, it just bombs completely. I I, I don't understand it, but yeah. it's not it's not quite replaced. John Wick is my just I will watch that dumbness <laughs> any time because look, John Wick has my favorite action scene action action moment in his movie history. It's at the end where he's in his car, he's driving through all the bad guys, and he hits the one dude. He the guy rolls over the hood over the windshield, over the top of the roof, and he shoots him at the exact moment he <laughs> rolls over the top of the roof. I'm like, that's... So unnecessary, <laughs> but I'm so all right with it. Yeah, like, that's the epitome. I will I will actually uh, cop to something right now. I've actually never seen John Wick. 
Either of them. And I know I would love them. I love that style of movie. Yeah. I loved Shoot 'em Up. Uh, the Crank movies. They're some of my yeah. favorite movies of all time. They're just so over the top. It's it's been on my very short list, and and, and I, I might try to knock that out this week because I've really been looking forward to those. John Wick, the first one is, it's 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 a really just a good action. It's a big dumb good dumb action movie, and it's it works perfect. John Wick two, they actually try to put a plot to it. That was their first mistake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's like, just, just, it. at some point in the movie, you can tell they were like, all right, this plot we have is kind of stupid. We're just going to like have him and Common fight for like 10 minutes. Dude, <laughs> I feel like Common pops up everywhere I don't expect him. <laughs> like, that man hasn't made music in 15 years, uh, and he's not. He doesn't do like a regular acting thing, but I swear every time I turn around, there's some random ass movie or TV show. I'm like, holy shit, it's common. <laughs> like, and he's great in all of them. I, yeah. I love him. He's fantastic. But man, he he just pops up in the weirdest places. Yeah, but most yeah. Steph's like that too, man. I don't even know where the hell most Steph is these days. Uh, he changed his name. I can't remember. What did he, he really? Yeah. yeah, I got his last album that he did at least under most Steph, and then yeah. just gone, man. He did acting for he, a little while. He's great at it. I think and, he. Decided to retire from everything for some reason. Yeah. Oh man, that's a, that's a shame. Yeah. Dude was stupid talented. Yeah. Uh, for my recommendation, I am going to go with the uh, a computer game actually, BattleTech. I don't think it's going to be any uh, news or surprise to any of you at home that I am a massive nerd. Uh, so I grew up with a dad who played a ton of uh, tabletop like war games. So you know, Axis and Allies, Barbarossa yeah. to Berlin, Paz of Glory. That was his thing. Like, and he still does. He does all the time. I've seen this man fly to Indiana, lock himself in a garage with his best friend for like five days and do nothing but play like <laughs> war games. I'm pretty sure they're like, I don't know, crapping in a paper bag or something. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's the environment I grew up with. So I also love sci-fi growing up, as yeah. most of my recommendations on this show can attest. And Battletech, you know, it was a tabletop war game when I was a kid. High detail. The basic uh, conceit of it is giant robots blowing each other up. That, does, that To a kid's mind, that's most exciting thing ever, but it had the complexity to keep me engaged even into adulthood. Well, uh, Hairbrain Studios and Paradox Interactive are two of my favorite uh, game studios, Paradox especially, just released a computerized version of it. Graphics are great. The gameplay has been kind of streamlined while still maintaining all the adept of the original. Uh, it's just absolutely engaging. has a fantastic story, which really kind of surprised me. It's a, a rich universe, but it would have been real easy for them to basically just turn this into you know a platform for multiplayer play or the like. Uh, They've done really, really good work on it. It's been basically eating up all of what little free hours I have, and uh, definitely worth checking out, guys. Cool. Yeah. All right. So I think that's all we got today. Uh, yeah. You got anything else uh, for him, Ryan? No, that's it. Uh, like I said, hopefully we'll have a new schedule of the show coming out. It'll be out on Thursday. Just from going forward, that'll be my goal is to get them out Thursday morning. So look for this. Look for this show and then we have do we have a guest next week or no we have a guest coming up the 22nd i'll i got a couple of leads i'll, I'll okay. get back to you and, and let you know what i got worked out okay yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah so uh make sure to check us out guys where can they find you online ryan uh find me at beercounselor.net and craftconsulting.beer and you can find me at liquidassets.blog or uh, my Facebook page. There's nothing special about my Facebook page, but I literally accept every friend request. So please <laughs> look me up. Uh, aside from that, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I uh, look forward to talking with you next week. 
I uh, appreciate the support as always. So cheers, Slancha, Ganbei, Chin Chin, and bottoms up. Later.